1: Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. On this episode, I'm talking to Professor Dave Beer, who's a professor of sociology at the University of York, about his new book, The Data Gaze, which was published by Sage in 2019. So welcome back to the podcast.
0: Hello. Hello, Dave. Thanks for having me back.
1: This is a really well-timed book, given that both, you know, broadly, we're engaging with these kind of questions of data. And then seemingly kind of like every single day, there's a new question about, Data-related issues, yeah. but this isn't, um, I guess, a kind of a new topic for you. Um, uh, you know, we, we talked before, and I guess this is probably the third kind of like data-themed um, book you, you've written, or yeah. with yeah. a different angle. And I, I guess that the, the place to start is like, why do you find this um, kind of <laughs> such a, a rich and, and and sort of rewarding area to be
0: working on? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, no, this is the third, the third book. Um, I think it was about um, somewhere around like two thousand and nine, ish, two thousand and ten. I think I'd done a piece about algorithms, and I was I was thinking about the role of data, or that the way that um, the kind of media infrastructures were increasingly running on data. And um, I, at that time, I thought, well, one of the the interesting thing is how it's not just how because there's a lot of stuff about data being mined and data being harvested, data being extracted, this kind of thing. And I sort of, it's a simple observation, really. I sort of thought, well, what's interesting is when those data circulate back into the social world and change things. So I started to think, well, how can you understand those data circulations? How can you understand how data folding back in to the world changes and transforms what's going on? So that was what led, I, I, I then wrote the book, uh, Popular Culture and New Media, Politics Circulation, which we, we spoke about at the time. And that was an attempt to think what happens when data falls back into culture. And then, and then that opened up questions for me. I sort of thought, well, this also suggests a sort of series of um, political questions about um, how they're about the relationship between data and power. So I picked those up, and, and that was the worked on the book Metric Power. And then I'd still got questions left about how the data circulations were mediated, um, and who was involved in in their mediation, um, and that led me to write the Data gaze. So. It, it it sounds it sounds a bit grand, but the he um, it, it was intended as a bit as to be a little sort of like a trilogy. I remember William Mitchell once uh, using this phrase to describe three of his books as a kind of loose trilogy, which I was sort of quite like the idea of that. So it wasn't intended to start off with, but it ended up like that as as three books that are about different aspects of data circulations: one about culture, one about politics and power, and and one about um, mediation and intermediaries.
1: I mean, the the really sort of obvious thing is yeah. what what is this this data gaze then what's this you know kind of big idea yeah. In
0: this book? yeah. so um well it seems it seems to me that like the the social world is being reconfigured around data and um we're transforming um social relations connections divisions a lot of these things are being reconfigured around around data processes and data led thinking um Data-led forms of social ordering of different types, so that's that was kind of motivating me to keep going on the questions of data because I sort of think that they're kind of at the forefront of how we're organising the social world and understanding it. Um, so the, the data gaze as I moved into these sort of questions of you know of, um, of uh, the mediation of data circulations as they fall back into the world. Um, the, one of the questions I thought about is how. People can, you know, the power is in the hands of people who speak with those data. I sort of thought that there's a question, that there's a, there's some obvious questions about visibility there. So I started to think, what was, what, how could you kind of conceptualise this and understand it? And on a, on a very simple level, the data gaze is about how we see and how we're seen through data. That's kind of the, that what that concept is used to do is to kind of sensitise us to those processes of, of what we're seeing with data and and how we're seen by them. So it was, it was an attempt, really, to think through those questions. And um, I think uh, we'll probably go on to maybe speak a bit more about Foucault later. But one of the things that I, um, that came up, it was actually a, I gave a I gave a talk and uh, one of my colleagues, Daryl Martin, sort of said to me, oh, it's like uh, Foucault's birth of the clinic. Um, and I thought about it and he was right. And um, so I thought the data gaze emerges out of that observation, really, because what um, what I thought was that the birth of the clinic is about the transformation of analytical spaces, um, uh, it, it, you know, in which people were being observed and analyzed uh, in clinical spaces for medical reasons. I thought, and Kfuko tries to understand the transformation of that, and I thought, well, what I'm trying to understand is the transformation of analytical spaces, um, and forms of knowledge today, um, in these, in, 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 in the emergence of a, a data analytics industry of different types so i sort of took the concept of the gauge from Foucault and found something totally different but the concept of the gauge was quite helpful in 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 help you know focusing my mind on on how we're seen and how we see data i'm, I'm quite interested in the differences actually because like yeah
1: as you say you know there's an obvious kind of parallel you know, it, it's 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 certainly a quite straightforward yeah. uh, re- relationship, but also there are you know kind of moments yeah. where you're like, well, actually, yeah, we're going to take everything from the birth of the clinic, and I, I no, wouldn't go with, no. you know critique of Foucault, but there are kind of moments of difference. So it'd be interesting it, to see yeah. what what those moments of difference are.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's quite a few in the book because uh, what, what I end up finding is is just something quite you know is is something quite different to the the uh, the account of. Uh, the clinical space and the analytics that, that Foucault observes in the kind of clinical medical gaze. It's a complete departure, really. What I, use, I just use Foucault for a bit of inspiration um, to help me with ideas and, and give me a bit of analytical, analytical sort of focal point that I can use. Um, so what, what I was able to do with, with the Foucault text was to actually think about how um, these spaces were transforming and emerging and all these kinds of things. Um, but to give you a couple of examples of, of key differences, I mean, um, one of the things is that the, the kind of the data gaze is uh, in no way limited to the, uh, to the expert um, contained within the dedicated analytical clinical space. You know, So you've not got these demarcated analytical spaces like you had with the clinic, and you've not got these, the same types of demarcation of expertise like the qualified clinician, of observing and, and holding the data ga- the, uh, the medical gaze. The data gaze is something that spreads more widely and outside of the, goes outside of the hands of the expert thanks to the kind of prosthetic software analytics and can be done anywhere at any time. So that allows this, this gaze to spread outwards into the organisations that we're a part of. It's a kind of decentered gaze that spreads into the social world and can be operated in, uh, uh, in different ways. Um, so that was that was one of the key findings. Uh, two of them really about expertise and and, and spaces of, of analytics. Uh, there are quite a few others. I mean, one of, one of the other findings was that um, the idea that this is a kind of gaze that watches over itself. So it's kind of a hyper-surveillance. Um, it watches its subject, but also watches its own structures and practices to make sure that they're as surveillance as possible. Um, something that the, the uh, Foucault's medical medical gaze wasn't wasn't set up to do um so they they were some of the they were some of the key differences um there are a number of others that i highlight in the in the in the analysis in the book um and where i introduce some other concepts and other ideas that kind of run alongside the data gaze that are kind of outside of the stuff that Foucault tried to do i mean one of the one of the things for example is that uh, we're we'll probably going to speak about, but is uh, the like questions around temporality, time and speed um, of, of analytics, which Foucault touches on a little bit in the birth of the clinic. But temporality is not really a, a prominent part of his analysis, but I think it's much more important in the kind of data analytics, data gaze stuff that I talk about.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like an almost sort of bland or, or like flippant comment to say, you know, the birth of the clinic is now, what, 50 years old? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, early 1960s, yeah. Around that time. And, you know, whilst the kind of central theoretical in, insights are important and have, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the longevity, yeah, they're, they're really important, like like basic social differences. Yeah. And, and actually one way of, of yeah. getting to them is probably through that idea, actually, about yeah. the idea that things have sped up that culture is faster, uh, that, you know, time itself is yeah. being compressed. Yeah. And, and it's worth, before we kind of talk, you know, specifically about uh, data imaginaries, data capitalism, before we get into things like infrastructure, mm. maybe hearing a little bit about, I guess, the kind of um, idea of, of social or cultural acceleration that comes slightly later in the book, but it'd be useful to um, to hear about that now.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's to do with... Um... Ideas of kind of acceleration, as much as with the acceleration itself, I think there's a big push towards kind of the idea of kind of real time ad- analytics, um, and that kind of the idea you know Mark Andrejevic calls about like immediation, you know that you can do things in the moment and it gets faster those kind of uh, until it's until it's immediate. So I tried to tap into some of those debates about uh, like Judy Wise and being pressed for time, you know uh, Tom Linson's book on cultures of speed, those acceleration type debates um because what what I'd what I'd observed was that a key a key way in which data analytics spread is through the idea that we need to keep up so what happens is the idea that the world is speeding up and the idea that data analytics are the way to keep up with the accelerating world are perpetuated and developed by the data analytics industry and the providers of the different software packages and services and stuff like that. So they they kind of perpetuate an idea that the world is getting quicker and they couple that with the idea that the only way to keep up with a sort of increasingly competitive, accelerating, speeding up culture and society and marketplace and everything is for you to become increasingly data data-led, data-informed, and that you need increasingly powerful analytics to be able to compete. Otherwise, you'll be left behind. So there's a kind of fear of being left behind in these uh, accelerating spaces that drives the push towards um, incorporating data analytics into organisations. Is, is this, uh, I guess, part of the what you describe in, in the book,
1: this idea of a data imaginary, um, yeah, yeah, which yeah. seems to be doing two things in my reading. On the one hand was that... As you described, like disciplining device, you know, if you're not into this, if you're not on top of this, uh, your firm, your government, your individual personality will be left behind. Yeah. But at the same time, actually, you know, did some serve some sort of reasonable social functions. You talk yeah. about the data imaginary being, what is it, speedy, accessible, yeah. revealing, yeah. panoramic, yeah. prophetic, and smart. Yeah. Um, and that sort of like, Weird yeah. hybrid of you know sort of discipline and promise was was really interesting.
0: Yeah, so I think in the book I described like the data imaginary is kind of like the diamond tip of the data gaze that kind of cuts through, tears through things. So I was really sort of trying to get to grips with how data led thinking and data analytics spread so rapidly through the social world and into so many parts of the world, you know, into so many different types of organizations and institutions, trying to get to grips with that. Uh, I thought of these as kind of like data frontiers. You know, They're the edges at which data analytics doesn't go beyond or where data analytics is quite crude. And So the, the data analytics industry is always looking to push back those data frontiers. And one of the ways you can create ruptures and tear through those, those sort of barriers is, is with this data imaginary. That projects certain promises and uh, capabilities onto the data and onto data analytics, and they're the types of things. So, what, when I looked across, what I did, one of the things I did in the, in a couple of the chapters is to take thirty four of these data analytics companies to look at the kind of ideas that they perpetuate around around data and data analytics. And you you write they're the ones I pull out, you know, about being speediness, accessibility, revealing, panoramic, prophetic, smart. These are some of the, the promises that are attached to the data in order to uh, promote its capabilities and to push back those data frontiers. So this data imaginary is often charged with trying to push back the boundaries and extend the reach of the data gates. This data imaginary facilitates um, a greater vision for the data gates, allows it to see into different spaces through the kind of promises that it attaches to the the data and the analytics.
1: I mean, l- later on in the book, you, you talk about like how these promises, uh, I mean, fulfilled's not the right term, but, you know, yeah. a, a sort of operationalized. Yeah, that's right. Uh, through this discussion of infrastructures. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it was interesting actually because theoretically I was, you know, sort of familiar with a lot of these discussions, but practically you talk about this um, thing called Hadoop. Is yeah. that right, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, and you're right. Great to hear yeah. that. And how that kind of functions as both, yeah, a kind of a community on the one hand, but also this yeah. infrastructure for delivering, yeah. uh, the, the yeah. data imaginary.
0: Yeah, so you're absolutely right. So the the book works through these kind of three stages of, of, of visions, infrastructures, and practices, and yeah, so that those those visions of the data uh, imaginary then feed through into the data infrastructures. And shape how they develop but also how they're understood by the people who are developing them so they they become kind of these sort of horizons that uh, people involved in the creation of data analytic software and infrastructures kind of reach for all the time These sort of like never 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 quite never quite reach them but are kind of reaching out for them you know all the time to try to, to try to get there um so yeah how do what happened was i was when i was doing the initial work where I was looking at the, the data analytics companies, what I would noticed was that Hadoop was kept coming up. It was the, the, the packages, the software packages and services that they provided were often, um, based around Hadoop, um, which is a, a kind of software, uh, package, um, that is adapted often and reworked in different contexts by these companies. So, um, this 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 project um hadoop is a kind of underpinning uh bit of kit really that's that's used across the data analytics industry and i thought what's it's quite interesting this is used so widely and that a lot of the kind of data infrastructures that we're engaging with and trying to think about in the social sciences and beyond are based upon this this software program this software package project whatever you call it they've got different names for it um that is so central so what i did was I I, foc- I I thought right i'll 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 follow the object um in a way that Lash and Huri once said i thought right i'll take hadoop and i will explore what it does and i'll explore what's said about it but i'll also allow that to open up other bits of software that are connected to hadoop um so I found and what and what I found is that it well as you described it really, I found this kind of Hadoop was a kind of central kind of um touchstone for a lot of different types of software projects that were all connected together to create these like constellations of 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 devices that are then used within data analytics. Um and they as I explore in the chapter, there's all these kind of like ecological kind of uh terms. Um, and ways of imagining this this software environment uh, that can be created and compiled in different ways to do different types of analytics. Um, And you're right, the idea of community, the idea that there's a kind of community of people building this, because it's kind of open source software package that has commercial funders that are based in some of the big tech platforms that that we're familiar with, but has a community of, and they emphasize this notion of community of people kind of building it contributing it um, and creating bits of code that are added to it and that kind of thing so I thought it's quite interesting to, to try to understand the these kind of infrastructural projects that underpin the data processes that we're all exposed to and I suppose what's interesting about it is yeah.
1: you know you, you're telling a story of as you described earlier in the book, you know, data capitalism. Uh, yeah. The sense yeah. of like, there's not just kind of, you know, money to be made here, but, you know, there's a yeah. reconfiguration of how, you know, particularly sort of businesses, but uh, money-making organisations can function in their relations to the social world. But at the yeah. same time, there's like that weird kind of almost sort of old school um, yeah. utopian approach of like, we're just programmers, yeah. you know, yeah.
0: working. Yeah,
1: and, and it's interesting to see those two things, I guess, kind of in, in intention. It is, yeah. Do, do you was. sort of like, yeah. do, do yeah. you get a sense of, of what's going on, whether, you know, there are, I guess, you know, kind of good things to be, you know, sort of saved from stuff like Hadoop or, yeah. you know, is this unfortunately just it happens to be an open source way, uh, yeah. a kind of like a, a, a cheap hobbyist form yeah. of like. For data but one of,
0: there was a couple of things. I mean, one thing would I would say is that you can you can buy T-shirts and uh, and vests with Hadoop on. Uh, Dave, I'll I'll get you one of them. <laughs> uh, you can. Uh, they did. They've got the merchandise around around Hadoop. Um, yeah, the, when I was looking at the one of the things that struck me as interesting was the way they organise the open source stuff that they're producing around Hadoop and uh, the the Apache Software Foundation that's behind it. You can people can look that up and. And see and see how that operates. Um, one of the things that I, I, I found particularly interesting when I was working on that chapter was the way that they organise the the work that goes into producing the open source software. Um, and you could see that I think that probably tension between the commercial and the open source that you you're kind of hinting at there. I think Dave, um, and that the rules around how the code within that within Hadoop and these other related bits of software are managed as part of these. Um, these software projects is interesting because there's a, there's a hierarchy of, of people involved in that, in that production. Cause we can you know, I, the idea of open source, think of it as being, you know, it's a, it sounds quite so, sort of flat in its organizational structures, but there was, you know, I think I, I in the end, it, it, it's something like five levels to the hierarchy of people involved in, in coding that software and producing it. So it's, it's closely protected that core code and managed and controlled, you know, um, and there are the commercial partners as well as those involved in creating it. So, just a I thought, it a, uh, sort of tells you something about what's going on when you can actually see into the, the organization and, and management of the production of the software packages that then go into all of these organizations that we come into contact with that are analyzing our data in different ways.
1: And they're not just organizations, though, are they? Like, <laughs> there are people here as well. And this is the. That's right, um, yeah. the the sort of final substantive chapter in the book where you talk about, and and this I I found really interesting actually, the kind of sense of like job roles that aren't really job roles, you know, that um, different kind of terms, analysts, engineers um, in some ways kind of lay bare, but also conceal uh, different skills and practices that um, use the data gaze. I mean, it, it was interesting earlier on, you know, you kind of mentioned uh, expertise and again you know in a yeah yeah open source kind of flat world there's a sense of like you know well everybody has something to bring that kind of stuff but actually you know there are really important kind of hierarchies um, around job titles and yeah. who gets to be yeah. in charge
0: yeah yeah so you, you, one of the things that emerges in the data imaginary is the idea that anybody can be their own data analyst so anybody through the software packages, you know, the idea that they're really intuitive and accessible, um, you can turn yourself into a data analyst with relatively little knowledge of what's of, of or or uh, qualification. So you can you can um, you can take on the data gaze. You can have your own data gaze simply by buying into these software packages. Now, what that means is, and this is where you get the the clash of something like Foucault's idea, is that that then creates questions about expertise in the sector, because if anybody can can is able to exercise the data gaze and to analyse data through these software packages, then what's the role of the expert? So that was a kind of one of the questions that's posed by the data imagining that I will return to when I look at practices, um, and one of, so I look back a little bit historically. Um, in response to that and look at the way that data um, uh data roles are embedded into organizational structures of different types historically, you know, where they emerge from and that kind of thing. Try to think about that a little bit. And what what I found interesting there was the way that a division of labor emerges. So you've got this this challenge to expertise. In data analytics, that comes from these kind of like intuitive, you know, the software packages as they're imagined, you know, where people, anybody becomes a data analyst. How does expertise reassert itself in that situation? Um. So when I looked at the division of labor, and there's lots of different roles and specialisms that then emerge in response, where expertise is then defended and and demarcated using different, uh, in different ways, um, in order to kind of Hold out you know to differentiate between the amateur and the expert um, and what I do in that chapter is identify some of those that splintering of the division of labor into specialisms as it unfolds, but focusing upon the data analyst and the data engineer in terms of what it is that enables them to demarcate the space of expertise to demarcate themselves as being the expert um, and in the date in the case of the data analyst it's to do with their ability to uh, cast a kind of um, eye over the data in a particular way—the kind of a kind of expert eye, an expert vision that allows you to see other things, to understand the data, to know when it's clean, to know how to look after it, to know how to make it sanitary. These types of things, because some of that—the clinical metaphors actually re-emerging in that chapter. Um, so I look at I look at that and the, the, the kind of expertise around an understanding of data that the data analyst holds onto that can demarcate their expertise. Um, and in the case of the data engineer, it's a detailed understanding of the infrastructures and how the components within data infrastructures can be um, put into constellations that facilitate certain types of analytical practices or certain insights. So where the amateur d- data user might be working off a, a prepackaged bit of software the data engineer is working is managing these flow data flows of these different pipelines of data flows, or they're they're managing the combination of of different uh, versions of Hadoop and those other types of softwares that I uh, talk about Pig and these that they've all got quite interesting names that combine together. So they know how to combine the components of the data infrastructure to optimize the data analytics. That's the idea, anyway. So what happens is and what I look at in that chapter is the emergence of like this new division of labor in which expertise is demarcated by those actors in particular ways. So there's, there's these categories of actors emerge. They're able, they're, they're able to demarcate their own expertise and to differentiate themselves from the kind of amateur who's working with their prosthetic vision of the, of the, of the software that's being you, you know, used to analyze the data. The question that I guess I have about the book, and this is maybe, you know,
1: sort of a, a little bit uh, provocative, is no, do it, the yeah. extent to which this is a problem. I, I yeah, mean, yeah. In, yeah, yeah. In, in metric yeah, yeah. power, no. was, you know, there was, a, like, a strong sense of this is a yeah. mass problem. <laughs> Whereas yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with yeah. the data gaze, I, I didn't, like, you know, I mean, we, we've we alluded yeah. to this already, you know, kind of questions about yeah, uh, yeah. how capitalism works who makes money who is in control yeah. crucially you know who is allowed to deploy the data gates yeah. yeah. but is it like a problem you know is is this is the data because yeah tyranny of metrics there's a strong sense in that book about we need to do some resisting um, yeah i guess my question is like should we be resisting the data gates yeah or should we all just be kind of learning how to code
0: yeah, no, it's a really, it's a really good question. You? And, it, and it, you, that is a key difference between these texts. Um, when I wrote Metric Power, I wanted to write something that was about the, the way that power was being exercised over people and, and trying to think very political terms about that. Now, I think this book is still political, but in a different way. Because what I thought is with this, I want to show, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try and show what's going on. I'll try and kind of give these sorts of like glimpses into this massive emergent industry of data analytics, which has largely been neglected despite the fact it's grown to something massive in scale. I'll try to kind of show how it works and how I think these data led processes are spreading into the organizations and institutions we're a part of, how they work, how the infrastructures are built, the types of practices that are going on, the sorts of promises, you know, try and kind of like really, Lay those out, and and in this in in the data gaze, I still try to put the presence of a kind of data informed, data led capitalism and way of thinking at the centre of the book in the same way as I did with metric power. But the politics is a bit more woven into it, I think, in this particular text. I didn't want to present it as starkly as I as I'd done in in metric power, and it, I, sp- I wanted to lay it out so that people could make the, their mind up about whether or not they want to resist, and if they do want to, then there might be some clues in by unraveling what's going on. There might be some clues in how to do it and how to present it. I mean, one of the obvious things is if you look at the data imaginary and its promises, if that's the way in which data analytics spread, then there's an opportunity there to counter those ideas about the world that are being presented and attached as promises. Because they're not necessarily realities, they're ways of thinking about data, they're ways of seeing the world that can then be countered by people if they want to to resist and and understanding similarly where the infrastructures come from means that you can understand how capitalism is woven into the 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 spaces that we occupy and the and the roles of people involved you know once you sort of understand those practices you can perhaps get a better grips of uh, a better grip on on how you might respond so yeah, I would I would agree. And it, it, this was written, and I, I suppose this is what, you know, the Foucault inspiration perhaps played out a little bit as well because Foucault's text is a bit like that, I think, too. Um, I was laying it out in a way that would facilitate people thinking about whether or how they might resist, and it might be in some ways this is more instructional about what you might do in response than, uh, than, than metric power, whether it's a problem or not. I think it can be damaging, and I think it can be harmful, and I think it can be violent in different ways. But I wanted to be a bit more ambivalent because I wanted to, pe- wanted to engage in a dialogue with people that might think that there are potentially progressive ways of deploying the data gaze, and I didn't want to be closed off from those kinds of dialogues and debates. Because I think I think it's quite, in a way, it, it's compelling to be drawn towards a dismissive engagement with the politics of data. Um, And I just wanted to lay things out a bit more here to open up dialogue with people that might see it from different perspectives. And I wanted the subversiveness to be woven into the text a little bit more in this occasion. I don't know if that actually makes sense, but that's kind of what I was intending anyway. I I often think about these, I think you might know this, Dave, but I often think about these things in terms of music. And this is the equivalent of uh, you know the second verse of Come On Eileen or something. It's like a, ah. a yeah a subversive politics kind of hidden in something uh, that's um, hopefully a bit more uh, glossy. And
1: in the spirit of a kind of you know speeded up compressed time. Yeah. What's the next project? I mean, is is there a you know Hitchhiker's Guide style? Um, trilogy of four parts <laughs> another data book or i, I mean um, like to an extent the three books yeah. in, in some ways yeah. yeah you've settled the accounts i guess yeah. of, you know, kind of yeah here's what, what what's gone on in the media space here's a political critique yeah. and here's, you know a, a, yeah. almost a kind of an sts follow the object style reading yeah so um, yeah what what what's what's left to do or is it time for something completely different
0: yeah, probably time for some – I think there'll be some related things. I feel like I've said what I can at the moment. But, you know, sometimes it'll be like a few months down the line, you think, oh, there is something else to say about that, you know. The Yeah, so what happened once I submitted the data gaze? I, I just went and uh, returned to a, a book I was writing about George Zimmel, just something totally different, really. I mean, on the surface, totally different, but um, actually – related in in the way that they're in the type of the type of social science i think so which i which i completed uh called uh uh, george Zimmel's concluding thoughts which is about the last four years of of Zimmel's life um and his writings during that period and and i I worked on a a short book for um for for emerald called the quirks of digital culture which is is going to be out later this year as well that's that's a short book that tries to uh to do something quite different with, with some of the ideas that I've worked on over previous years. And then that's kind of, a, bit of you know, a moment to pause really. So I'm hoping to, I've got a little bit of a plan for something that, um, that might touch on uh, a few of the kind of technological developments that we're seeing unfolding and that will unfold over the next three years. So my plan is perhaps to take two or three years now and just uh, try to write something about those. So they'll touch on data, but I think probably going in a, in a bit of a different direction.